I mean, convenient is like a huge, it's kind of a bad word, right? Like convenience equals waste, right? But why can't it be convenient? You know, I, I love the idea that being zero waste or being minimal waste or being sustainable can be convenient. And that's, that's my hope is that um, our businesses will and our business models will help people realize that it can be sustainable and convenient. Hi, I'm Naomi Mahaffey, and welcome to the final episode of our first season of PAUSE, an Alberta Social Innovation Connect podcast. We invite partners and collaborators to pause from their busy work and sit down together to reflect on what they're learning as they seek to address the root causes of complex problems in their communities. In today's episode, we chat with Margaret Taylor and Philippe Chouanier about the challenges and opportunities of creating and sustaining a zero-waste business in Canada. We're chatting with these two in April because it's Earth Month, and we thought there's no better time to talk about the role of businesses, suppliers, and consumers in helping our society make the shift towards zero-waste solutions. Margaret's business, Nude Market, started with delicious peanut butters she makes from scratch. Nude Market's mission is to create a less wasteful lifestyle without sacrificing convenience. To do this, Margaret introduced a new side to her business, a refillery that focuses on offering alternatives to single-use products, so you can continue to stay focused on what matters to you and not be worried about wasting products and packaging. Philippe's business, Onica Elements, is one of the suppliers for Margaret's refillery. Onica's all-natural personal care products were created out of respect for our water sources and the many organisms that help to clean and purify it along the way. Like everyone else in these self-isolation days, we've had to adapt some of our processes to our new reality. Elise recorded her conversation with our guests over Zoom, so you may notice some additional echoes and sounds that we were unable to control for without our usual studio setup. That said, we hope you really enjoy their conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to both our listeners at home, as well as our episode 11 guests, the final guests of this season, Margaret Taylor, who's joining us from Calgary, and Philippe Chouanier, who's joining us from Frelichberg, Quebec. So hello, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having us. I'm so glad you could both join me today. Thank you very much. To get the ball rolling, could each of you introduce yourselves along with the companies that you started? Sure. I'll go first. So my name is Margaret Taylor. I am the founder of Nude Market Zero Waste. I'm a zero waste brand here in Calgary, Alberta. Um, We offer sustainable solutions to products that are generally single use. Um, but our most um, our most famous product is our in-house peanut butter that we make. So we make a line of delicious, fresh peanut butters that we sell in grocery stores as well as farmers markets and, and online here in Calgary. Yeah. Lovely. Welcome. Thank you. I have to keep it short and sweet. You set the bar pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. Uh, so, Philippe, I'm uh, the co-founder for Oneka. Uh, Stacy and I founded the company in 2008, and um, it's been an interesting journey. We were uh, two dreamers that didn't have a business plan nor um, any experience. We just jumped, uh, got really excited at the idea of uh, working with a business first, and then in um, hair care, we didn't plan for that. It's really an accident, but uh, 
the link with uh, the impact on water. Um, eventually, packaging became obvious, so uh, we just we just jumped in and uh, have been learning for twelve years. Uh, we are, I guess, stubborn enough that we're still around and and, and doing better now. Um, but it's always been exciting. Um, and as of 2013, we were able to start producing some of our herbs at the farm. Um, so that's connecting us to our roots. Uh, we're both farmers. I'm from here. Stacy's from Thunder Bay. But uh, uh, we were able to, um, uh, to purchase one of my parents and partners' uh, former apple orchard to start growing herbs. Um, and then Zero Waste has been uh, important for us since the beginning. Uh, we were doing bulk in pails uh, in 2008, and now it's evolved a bit to jerry cans. But uh, um, zero waste is obviously a, a big, big part of our business and a big part of our uh, focus and and uh, commitment. Um, and uh, and we've uh, we've finally cracked uh, at the demand of doing a hand sanitizer. Um, it's quite, it's a natural fit for us because we were already using alcohol for our tinctures and uh, working with essential oils and tinctures and that. So we're launching this uh, this Friday on our website, and then as of next week, stores will be able to uh, to have it as well. That is so, so awesome! I love that you guys did that. That's wonderful. We'll welcome to you as well. Thank you. We've got lots of interesting conversations lined up to have today um, around the challenges and opportunities of creating and sustaining a zero waste business. But before we get into that, I just want to say that part of the reason we're chatting with the two of you in April specifically is because it's Earth Month. And both of your businesses are focused on the well-being of people and the planet. And right now, in light of everything of what's going on and what we're all going through as a global community, I feel this is a very important focus that's been brought to the center of folks' attention. Um, and, I, and I'd love to hear about how you both became interested in zero waste and this motto, let's say, of doing right by people and the planet. My whole way of thinking is how can I do something better? I'm always trying to do things better and innovate. Like um, I went through, I don't like to call it a phase because I really wish I kept it up. But for a couple of years, I only made fresh pasta. You know what I mean? Because I just wanted it to be better. Um and with raising young children, you kind of see the world differently because you want the best for your kids. So the best for your kids means the best world that they can live in, not just today, but in the future. Um, and I, I don't know, I just looking around me, I just I didn't like the way the economy was working in the sense that I I was bringing home groceries, having them having to take them out of bags, having to then recycle these bags that I didn't know were getting recycled, have all these recyclable containers that when the product was done, having to just sort through everything, um, having to regularly take out garbage, just living that traditional, you know, way that we are designed, our, our system is designed for us to live. And then me rebelling against it was just so difficult because I'm just like, oh, I'm trying to not work in this system, but there's no other options. And so I'm trying to create my own, which weren't super sustainable because they were either like go hard or go home. So I would drain myself out. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not the only person feeling this way. I know there's so many other people that probably live better than me and have for a long time. Um, but I just wanted to create it, create a more accessible way for people to live better. Mm -hmm. And so um, with my brain trying to always make things better, um, and also a very entrepreneurial uh, personality, I just decided I'm going to start something um, to help people be better and do better and have, have 
actual choices. Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like there's a lot of pretend choices out there, you know, a lot of greenwashing, a lot of things that aren't really making a positive impact. And there's also a huge disconnect between the consumer and the business and that trust that businesses are actually trying to do right by the consumer, um, as well as the consumers actually valuing what the businesses have to offer them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I decided, you know, what better way than to, um, start with peanut butter. It's a zero waste nut, literally everything from the root to the hole are used low water impact. Um, it's great for the soil. It's the most sustainable, um, nut. I know it's not a nut <laughs> that you can actually harvest and create into a nut butter. Um, and pretty much everyone eats peanut butter. Everyone has it in their pantry. Um, so everyone can connect to it. And so I found the one thing that I felt like the majority of people could connect to so that we could start the conversation about what we really want um, and how we can actually create change businesses and consumers together, not just one or the other. Because for us to create real change, we all have to shift our mindsets and our um, our habits and our way of thinking um, together kind of thing. So anyway, that's why I, I, I don't know. I think I answered a lot of questions and just went off into space. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that's okay happens to me all the time I totally get it but no you brought in some great system thinking points there and uh, it was lovely to hear about how how you got interested in zero waste yeah so what about you Philippe like I know you guys you're farmers and so you said you said in the beginning that your hair care wasn't actually your original intention but it seems to be kind of the majority of what you do now so what, what was it in the beginning yeah, that's a great question. Well, I, I wanted to comment on the way you started too, which is amazing, which is you're solving kind of your own, you know, solving your own challenges and then recognizing that others had that same need. I think it's really cool the way you started your business. Um, in our case, in our case, uh, it, I think the original start of the business was really a strong, um, a strong calling. Um, like I was a professional hockey player and, uh, yeah. Hold that. Really? That's so cool. Yeah. And, and then I think I, one summer I just kind of, I just became empty. I just, I, I literally, I remember it's a moment I was, I was stretching after training and I just, I, I felt empty of drive. I felt meaningless. Uh, and that doesn't mean that it's playing hockey is meaningless. It meant for me, I was done. I, I found no more passion. And of course, my ego kicked in and that was my identity. That was my life, right? And so I didn't want to let go. But, but looking back, I knew that very moment I was done. Wow. Uh, because, because, and then I became interested and in, in, I always was interested in you know, entrepreneurship. And my parents uh, were uh, are apple growers. So I grew up on the farm, entrepreneurial family. Mm-hmm. Uh, long story short, uh, then I became really interested in, in, in business and even looking at my parents' orchard, how could I how could I turn it into organic and blah blah blah? But and then uh, so when I said it wasn't our intention to do hair care, we didn't know what we wanted specifically. We just knew that Stacy and I together, we knew that we wanted to to utilize a business as a vehicle for um, to, to 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 impact, to help, to serve, uh, you know, contribute to people's health and the environment. That is extremely general. Mm-hmm. Right, you could do yeah. this in, in five billion ways, mm-hmm. and it just happened that we met a chemist, and it was like boom, that's it. But <laughs> looking back, it was completely silly. 
because we didn't know what we were doing. But it, in that moment, it made sense. It just it spoke to us, and it's it's been the way we've been doing most things, it kind of intuitively and with the energy of the moment, etc. Um, yeah. So that's how we started the business. But the zero waste was really unlike you for us. If for you, it was kind of like very conscious i think for us it was kind of like by default it just made sense whereas people were asking us for big containers they wanted stores of people saving money saving packaging blah 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 it just made sense and so we were doing it it was common sense and this is like 2008 right where bulk was very marginal like it was most people weren't aware of it and most people didn't want to touch it. It wasn't yeah. attractive, et cetera. And then over time, we never stopped because we believed in, we believed in it. We thought there's way too much packaging. I mean, we were even in, even 12 years ago, we were hearing stories of like plastic floating in the ocean and all that, right? So it just made sense. And, uh, and we became more and more and more passionate about, about it and more and more committed. And, and Margaret and I were talking last week and, for a brand like us, we're taking a lot of risks in a way um, because we're exposing ourselves to contamination. Once it's in the store, we have no control what happens, whether on a store level or on a consumer level. We have people bringing pickle jars to refill their, you know, with shampoo. So there, there's risk of contamination that we expose ourselves as a brand. And then there's brand loss or dilution, if you will, because the goal is not to only have people refill our bottles. The goal is to save packaging. So there's people showing up with head and shoulders bottles, you know, Pepsi bottles, like, you know, and the goal is to fill them because they're saving a bottle, right? So, so um, there's a risk involved, but, but our commitment and our desire to, to reduce plastic is stronger than, than, than the loss um, that is very real um, and the risks. But uh, so, yeah, that's, that's how we, got into it and have been growing or increasing our commitment to uh, zero waste. Mm-hmm. I love how you say that it's like been kind of an organic kind of um, journey for you guys, because it, it's, I think, which I think is the best because essentially what you're doing is you're just doing what the people are telling you you're, you're doing exactly what they need. And so therefore it's such like a perfect fit. And you're not trying to like teach them about a way they actually asked you and they created the way for you. And mm-hmm. I totally know what you mean because there's certain things in my business that I have done only because one person asked me to do it. And then suddenly I'm like, Oh, maybe more than one person wants me to do it. And then I just keep doing it. And I realize, Oh, that's a whole new way, like revenue stream for me that I never even expected I was going to do kind of thing. So yeah. And I feel like those are the, those are the best parts of my business because those are what they asked me to do instead of me trying to push away onto people. Um, I f- feel like that's where I've flourished the most as well. So that's kind of a cool story. Mm-hmm. Also, sorry, one more thing <laughs> about the whole brand, um, the, the risk to your brand. Like I totally, I totally know what you mean because that, that is very scary to think that you're going to put your product out there and then not really know if, you're going to get that recognition for what it is. But I feel like the people that are buying your product chose your product and they see the quality and they will share the quality. And it's going to be more of a word of mouth kind of situation as well, where they're going to, they might come with their pickle jars, but they know what's inside. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think everyone else knows that that's not pickles. <laughs> so there is that risk for sure. But I think just knowing the value of your product, which I, I mean, I literally wash, I wash my hair every other day and I wash my hair with Oneco. 
the the uh, you're so right, and um, I think it, my my comment is really to look at it from a conventional branding standpoint. Um, we know that the our branding is much bigger than just the few bottles that are not branded Oneka, and 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 it's part of the spirit. Like if we're doing zero waste, then we can't really just ask that the only our bottles are refilled. That's just not, that's not the spirit. And, um, um, but I know that's why a lot of brands don't get into it. And some brands get out of it for that reason. But for us, it's uh, and very much like you, there's an opportunity. Yes. And there's a business case. Yes. But behind it, it's, it's, it's beliefs. And ultimately this is where you're faced with your beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, are you in it for real or are you in it? just to ride the wave because there is a strong wave let's face it yeah. and we know it, right um and ultimately that's uh that's our that's where we stand we we are we were doing this when nobody wanted you know it was there's it was not lucrative at all 12 years ago we were doing it because we believed in it and yeah people were asking um but today it's 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 you know it's it's 20 times what it was 12 years ago um, but, but ultimately we're, we're in it for the opportunity. We run a business, obviously we, you know, we don't live off of subsidies, but, um, but, uh, but you know, it's part of, that's part of the commitment. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys are so great. You're already bringing in topics I was wanting to ask you about, um, which is fantastic. And Philippe, you just talked about it, about some challenges that you're facing right now around branding. And that was going to be my question or what are some challenges that you both face in running and sustaining a zero waste business? Um, I would say there's a couple main hurdles for me for sure. Um, and there's, yeah, lots of different types of hurdles as well. Like, so for example, trying to maintain a zero waste production as well as that circular economical model in my product, um, it does, you know, weigh, the margins are closely considered. So like, I think I probably, my margins are a lot lower because of my belief in the, in my product and what it stands for. So I will never go to plastic, which would like so decrease the price of my peanut butter, right? But I can't do that. So um, then there's that messaging that goes along with my containers, mm-hmm. which is a huge educational, um, like, what is it called? I don't know. It's, it's a steep climb teaching people the why of why I have this kind of packaging and the how of how to keep it sustainable. Um, and then the what, well, you return it to me. So there's like a huge educational hurdle. Um, the margins are a lot slimmer than what they would be if I went with plastic mm-hmm. packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, just like keep also making it accessible to consumers. So like, um, because of the cost of my packaging, there's some people I'm leaving out right now which I don't like because zero waste is for everybody. Um, and whole food is for everybody, which I am both. So I'm trying to find that there's that challenge for me and is how do I make it more accessible? Cause that's one of my pillars is like accessibility. Um, so the, yeah, in a, in a nutshell, those are my hurdles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. We're going to slide that in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Time you make that joke. Honestly, there's so many nut puns. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like every day, there's a new one. It probably is not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my ears open for any more nut puns. I'm, I quite enjoy puns, so I'll be listening for them now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's like, I have like a list of puns that are going <laughs> to 
Um, could you share some of the ways that you've been able to overcome these hurdles you just touched upon or attempts that you've made or things you're working on right now to get around the education piece or accessibility piece? Yeah, well, um, so in terms of uh, reducing the price of the packaging, that all comes with a lot of the scaling. I am working on, I'm not going to share it quite yet, um, but I am working on alternative packaging um, that will hopefully, well, it has to mean align with our vision and our beliefs, um, um, which will decrease the price of the peanut butter, um, as well as um, the accessibility portion. Being in every store helps with scaling, helps decrease prices, which helps people get have access kind of thing. So it all has to do with the scaling of the business. Um, and then the educational portion um, is just going to be an ongoing process because there are so many, there is like, what percent of people do you think, Philippe, actually know what zero waste means? I think there's different notions. Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, but I think of it this way. Five years ago, how many people were bringing their own bags to the store? Right? Yeah. Today, I, I'm noticing, like, yeah. I'm seeing people that, you, that are not at the forefront of this movement bring their, their reusable bags to the grocery store. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying everybody, but like, so I, I think there's different levels of zero waste. And I think that's the beauty of, of the movement too, is that um, I know there's a quote going out like where it says, we don't need everybody. We don't need a few people to do it perfectly. We need a bunch of people doing imperfectly. Right. So right. I think any touch point matters, but hardcore mm, 2%, right? Maybe. 2%. Yeah. So the, there's huge opportunity there. Right which yeah. is a lot of education. So that's just being able to stay on top of it and continuously learning yourself so that you can make sure that you're giving good information and staying authentic and not greenwashing and just making sure that you're, yeah, it's just, it's a huge, for me, just being able to maintain that on the internal level so that I can continue to be a source for other people is a, like, as a way for me to, you know, work on that hurdle, but it's me just learning constantly, which I mean, Philippe, you said you're, you've been learning for over 10 years. You yeah. Learning, you know, I think that's such a beautiful way of putting this whole thing is you're not just, you know, a, a business owner, but you're, you're just everything you're doing, you're learning. And I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think uh, Margaret too, like the, what I find works um, is in anything, in any change, right? Like uh, is, is to make it fun. And so, and you, you yourself said it like your pro, your own process. You're like, you drove yourself nuts, right? Oh, there's another one. <laughs> uh, but you, you drove yourself like to exhaustion because you were trying to, to do it and like, you know, and like, you know, kind of like not go out of the system. But, but I think, um, I think it's the same with most people is that it has to be fun. It has to be sure. It could be an effort to start to, to, to change a habit, et cetera. But it, at the end of the day, it has to be light and fun. Right. So I think, for us as leaders and as educators and as, um, you know, like maybe uh, pioneers in a way or mm -hmm. um, um, change makers, we, we, I think we have, fun has to be part of our dialogue and uh, in inspiration, right? It's like we don't, we don't guilt people to do it. We inspire people to do it. And, and uh, uh, I, I, that's my belief, right? I'm not saying that's the way to go, but I, I think it's a lot more efficient to, uh, to, to approach education or, or, or even our own business opportunities where, um, 
we make it light and easy. And I think that's, if I could get right into the challenge, I think that's one of our challenges is to make it accessible, easy, simple. Um, convenient even. I mean, convenient is like a huge, it's kind of a bad word, right? Like convenience equals waste, right? But why can't it can be, why can't it be convenient? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love the idea that being zero waste or being minimal waste or being sustainable can be convenient. And that's, that's my hope is that um, our businesses will and our business models will help people realize that it can be sustainable and convenient, you know? So true. So true. And, and you see from our perspective as a brand who supplies a store like yours, uh, I have to think about the end user, but I have to think about you. And so your process with my products have to be simple, mm-hmm. easy to clean, easy to maintain, easy to pour, easy to, you know, and, and so not like where every time a customer comes, you're like, oh, the con- conditioner's too thick. I'm sorry. I'll pump it for you. Or, or you know what I mean? Like, like so that entire process, um, I believe zero waste right now is uh, how, could it, how could it become more... Uh, more convenient, I think is a good way to say, but on all levels, not just for the end user, for the store. Like yeah. you don't have to pick up a mess after every time a customer comes by, like, you know, all these things, right? And I think, mm-hmm. I think bulk and zero waste is, refillery is at that crossroads where it's like, okay, what's the next generation of easier to maintain, um, easier to use, uh, you know, self-explanatory, because a lot of a lot of stores are there to educate their people, which is great, but it's also labor intensive, right? Yeah. So could we, could some of that be automated in a time where people need tons of education? And I think it's hard to completely bypass, you know, human to human education. But uh, I know that's what we're facing. And uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, increasing convenience uh, and ease and, uh, you know, maintenance and, 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 you know, usage, um, of, uh, it has nothing to do with the product it has to do with the experience. Yeah. And so the easier it is, the more people will, will gravitate towards it because it doesn't require just hardcore committed, you know, like maniacs to, to do yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. I totally agree with you. And I love how you mentioned that it's on every level so it's not just for the end user, but like for the businesses and like all throughout the supply chain, we're all in relationship with one another. And I just love how, um, I don't know, I love the opportunity to be able to work all together to create this change and kind of start shifting and juggling. One thing I, I often was concerned about with refilleries, and so I actually really want to have this conversation because I feel like a lot of people feel this way, um, is, well, why should I have to go and refill my container? Why does, why does the consumer have to do all of the work to clean their container, bring it back and refill it? Why can't they just have better packaging? You know what I mean? That's a complaint I hear. Why are they making it the brunt or the responsibility of making our minimizing our, our carbon footprint? Why is it the consumer's responsibility? So like, what's your kind of, Philippe, what, what do you, what's your take on that? Like, how can we change that conversation? I love it because you're bringing me to a thought that I was having earlier that I wanted to talk about. So like for, for us as a brand, um, we're, we're looking at um, increasing our positive impact and decreasing our negative impact, right? So right now we play with CO2 and plastic. We measure our CO2 and we measure our plastic. 
And I shared with you last week that in 2019, we've offset 108% of our uh, plastic and 104% of our CO2. So we can call ourselves positive. But at the end of the day, that's funny and it's fun. It's great. But we're still having, we still put out uh, 10 tons of plastic and we still put out 350 tons of CO2. And that's just us. We're a small business. Okay? Mm-hmm. That, that's crazy. So um, when we look at the question you're bringing up, okay, as a brand, do I take on the responsibility of putting out stainless steel bottles, which are good for 10 years, but cost 20 bucks? And I take the responsibility of circling those back to my plant and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning over and over again. Um, if I, it's always about the big picture. So maybe I'm saving on plastic, but what about CO2, right? So and it, we're, I don't think we're experts yet, but we have learned more about thinking about it in, in a more global way. And, and for instance, if I ship to California or Vancouver, uh, a 20 liter of, of shampoo, it makes no sense for me to bring that container back to my plant, clean it and refill it because I've just exploded my CO2. What's the point of saving 1.2 kilo of plastic if I've put out like five kilos of CO2? I'm just saying, right? Mm. So, so your question to me brings that, that question of like, we move one way, but what's the impact on the other sides, right? Um, and, and so what we've learned so far is that, for instance, for us to bring containers back, if we're past 2,000 kilometers, it, it makes no sense from yeah. a CO2 standpoint, right? It always makes sense to recover plastic, but at what CO2 cost, right? Um, so I'm excited because I feel like we are starting to think about things differently. Um, and instead of being perfect on one end, let's be really good on two ends and it's not perfect solution but it's a overall a better solution if you're if you're accounting for co2 and plastic and um cost too right like you know is the idea of a stainless steel bottle good will people pay 20 bucks i mean there's going to be a deposit but like you know you know and again it's the same thing you say i provide this great thing but only two percent of the population can afford it what what real impact am i having so all these questions right and then, and then when I take responsibility for my packaging and my CO2, there's a cost to that. Who yep. pays for that? Yeah. Okay, I'm willing to lower my margin, fair enough. But the consumer ends up paying a bit too, right? That's reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a choice. Um, I mean, I think consumers want to support. And it's the same thing with your, your peanut butter. Like people, people want to support something that has, you know, substance and meaning behind it more than the product. Like the, the, the values and the commitments, right? Um, so I don't know if I've answered your question, but it's like, those are the things we think about. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that because that's not something a consumer thinks about, but I think that's probably just an education thing, teaching the, teaching the people that are using the refillery. Well, this is why, so you're not bearing the brunt of the responsibility, but we're working together and, um, and this is how we're working with you. So we're not just saying to you, oh, refill, we're not making you do all the work, but if we did this, I mean, I think probably the proof would be in the pudding if you gave them the numbers and showed them, well, you know, this is why we don't do this. This is why we're trending towards this way. If we did this, it's like one step forward, two steps backwards. You know what I mean? So I think I, I like what you said, because it's it's seeing the bigger picture and the understanding on on the manufacturer's level. And there's obviously a why there. And it's not just to do with money, but it has to do with your carbon footprint and actually making a difference, which is really great. Because a lot of 
a lot of companies, bigger ones that have been around a long time, um, their reasoning, I bet you, I'm not going to say for sure, but I feel um, that their reasoning would not be about the carbon footprint. It would be all about the margins. And yeah. I feel like consumers think that businesses only think about their margins, mm-hmm. right? So how to differentiate yourself from the bigger businesses that don't have that social mindset, I guess. So I'm going to flip our conversation now from talking about our challenge, the challenges, not our, the challenges that the both of you face in your work to now, what are some opportunities uh, that you face in your work as well, or that you see either on a daily basis or at large, some opportunities that you're looking forward to in the future? Well, I feel like I'm taking forever to answer. It's not like I don't believe in my opportunities. (laughs) It's confusing because my whole strategy has been forced to change throughout this whole thing. And so I was even talking to my husband earlier today and I was just like, I have to remember so many things about what I used to think about because now I'm just thinking about those small core activities instead of all these huge, you know, strategic ideas and five-year plans. I'm thinking about now my three-month plan, (laughs) like how am I going to stay in business? Um, I feel like there's an opportunity for education, obviously, uh, raising awareness about um, just how to live better, obviously making it fun, making it accessible, making it convenient, mm-hmm. um, making it easy. So there's a huge educational component. Um, and not just in, the, in terms of the environmental impact of consumers' um, decisions, but also like um, how to like eat healthy, you know, choosing your health bef- over top of your wallet. You know what I mean? Like deciding with, not with your wallet, but with your health kind of yeah. thing. Um, so I guess that's all fairly educational and there's, I mean, that's endless, I feel. Um, and then, yeah, opportunity to work with the supply chain. I've had a lot of crazy, wonderful conversations with people that supply um, me with raw materials and products to sell in my retail space. Um, just about, you know, the reasons why I don't, I say no to plastic and the reasons why I don't often, I try not to accept shipments that are wrapped trifold with peanuts for some reason I'm like why did you send me a, bo- a box that's half empty with a bunch of these peanuts that I can't don't know what to do anyway I ended up making a doggy pillow <laughs> but um yeah just to have the opportunity to have conversations with the supply chain and understand the why of why they're not where they're at so that we can try to create conversation with the higher levels um at the more regulatory levels and figure out how we can cut the red tape and shift um our processes you know what I mean so for example, I was talking to my nut supplier and asking if we could change the process um, because I get my peanuts in cardboard boxes in plastic bags. That's the way it has to be right now um, for them to maintain their high level of certification and health and safety. Um, it's it's like required. Otherwise, they would their business would get shut down. Um, but I was trying to figure out different ways that I could work with them to create a plastic free supply chain. Um, and right now it's not going to work, but I'm excited because now I know who I'm going to call to start conversations with. And I'm excited to have those large conversations and, and you can, you can create changes just by having conversations. And so that's kind of exciting for me. Mm -hmm. Ah, Sorry. That was a really long way of saying something. very (laughs) simple. That's really cool. It's, I, I share the same with you, Margaret is the talking about the ecosystem and, um, to, the question was, what are the opportunities? There are so many business opportunities, but I feel like underneath all that is really the uh, systems change and 
I feel I feel that when you go out in nature, nature is thriving right now, um, and it's it's humanity who's who's struggling. And and I say this with a lot of empathy and mm-hmm. a lot of you know a lot of um, sensitivity to those who are really struggling either financially or, or health wise. Um, but but you know nature is thriving and i think the the one of the biggest opportunities that i'm feeling is really to emulate nature uh, nature is not a mono, uh, you know a monoculture Mo- nature is biodiversity and i feel like humanity has um monocultured itself in in fewer and fewer things and and uh um and, and my overall thought is really that that right now we're we're being brought back to basics and and the basic laws of nature, monocultures mm-hmm. are fragile, you know, and yeah. w- whether it's in the types of food that we eat or, 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 or you know, um, and, and, and I feel like I, I think of nature because I think nature is a, is a true inspiration right now. Nature thrives no matter what, right? Because it always rebounds and readjusts, right? She'll and take I, care of herself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I love that. I mean, I, I love the fact that nature has this natural, I mean, it's not a, as romantic and beautiful as the way you've been drawing the picture of nature right now. Like I think what everything you've just said, I love, I think it's so amazing how mother, like nature does take care of itself and it, this biodiversity um, and how it's thriving right now. And I love, I love the fact that it's a totally natural circular economy. Like it's the, it's the answer of how we need to be. And I don't know why we don't get it. And I think you're right. It's because um, life has gotten very complicated and there's just so many levels and layers of human systems that are just not created for the better of society or better of the, for the better of the environment. But now through all this, this whole pandemic, we are bring, being brought back to the basics. Mm-hmm. And now we're looking at nature and we're thinking, okay, maybe we can find some answers here. And I really hope that, I really hope that when we come out of this, that there will be change at the high scale. I'm not saying like massive, like um, crazy change in the, in the sense that tomorrow we're going to wake up and we're going to do things differently, but an organic change because we just think differently now and we make different choices and we're going to look to nature and we're going to see what she does and we're going to try to emulate what she does and hopefully will thrive as a global community and work together. And, and I, I think that's really interesting um, how you said monoculture. I've actually never really heard of the term monoculture and probably is it because you work with plants? <laughs> the, the way monoculture to me means uh, 750 acres of corn. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. One, one culture, and I, this is a agriculture analogy, uh, polyculture means uh, carrots and beets and apple trees and you know, but you you go into a forest or a natural ecosystem, you never see just one species. You never see nature is diverse by nature, right? right? And so I, I yes, that's what I mean by monoculture, where it's a human created system that just relies. It's so it's so at risk. It's so vulnerable. Yeah, like you know, it it, it it's yeah. If anything happens, it just collapses because it. Because whereas the nature has so many interconnections and diversity that it creates its resilience and right. and I mean I'm going really fast like it's not like I, I know all about that but I but I 
what I know is when I go in nature and observe it, I can feel the strength. I can feel the resilience. Mm-hmm. I, I, un, untouched or very limited uh, human, uh, you know, like changes or interaction, like nature is just resilient. I love that. Mm-hmm. I really just want to say that I am so blown away by the both of you. I have hardly even had to talk throughout this whole podcast because the two of you just got on such a good conversation and it's been inspiring and educational on my end to hear the both of you talk um, about how you got interested in, in your companies and starting them and creating them, sustaining them, the whole bit of that. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just sitting in awe listening to the two of you. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are both just such wonderful people and so inspiring and the passion and energy that you bring to your work and that you bring to this conversation right now is incredible. I can feel it, even though we're not physically together, but I can feel it through the digital spheres. You guys just have so much so much passion and energy and it's very evident in the way you talk about your work and and what you do. I'm just going to say one more big final thank you to both of you for sharing your energy, your passion, your knowledge. This has been a fantastic, inspiring, educational hour sitting here with the two of you. So thank you both so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. It was really nice to talk to you guys. It was nice to get to know you better, Philippe. Same here. And I look look forward to our ongoing conversations. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm excited about your hand sanitizer. I'm going to get some of that. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pause. The voices you heard today were recorded from our respective homes in Edmonton, Calgary, Red Deer, and Frelisburg, Quebec. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge that these homes we live in and now work and record podcasts from are situated on lands that were, until relatively recently, used and cared for exclusively by Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge the past, present, and future generations of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, who have traditionally gathered in and cared for our land. In Earth Month in particular, we also recognize the ongoing work we have to do to seek reconciliation and restoration in our relationships with each other and the natural world. This episode was produced by Alberta Social Innovation Connect, or ABSI Connect. You can learn more about our network, find our newsletter, and get inspired by and connected to other Albertan changemakers by visiting www.absiconnect.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us out by sharing it with a friend and rating us on your favorite listening platform. Our funding partner is the Suncor Energy Foundation. This episode was recorded and edited by Elise Martinowski of ABSI Connect. Theme music was recorded by the Fort McMurray Youth of the Soundforce Collective.